Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business podcast from the Business in Vancouver Newsroom. I'm Kirk LaPointe, Editor-in-Chief. The 14th, yes, 14th season of Dragon's Den debuts this week. And even a casual review of its impact would identify enterprises in this country that have been built by convincing the panel of business leaders to invest in their ideas and visions. Listen, it's not every day I get to say my guest is Mr. Sunshine, but of course, that's what we call Vincenzo Guzzo, the Quebec movie theater king, an entrepreneur, a serial owner of a lot of businesses. And it's a pleasure to welcome him to the podcast today. Thanks a lot for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I, I think I'm going to need about seven cups of coffee to keep up with you here because you you are you know, you, you've got like pretty fabulous energy on the screen. Um, I, listen, I'm sure well, you're at. Uh, yeah. Okay. I, I have an intravenous of coffee every day. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Listen, I'm sure you're asked this about six times a day. Where did Mr. Sunshine come from? Mr. Sunshine comes from, I would say, you know, originally from a flower that I would wear on, uh, uh, that I wore as a child. Uh, I was 14, 15, and I had, uh, you know, under, it's a little funny because I'm, I'm, you know, in no way liberal with a big L, but uh, um, Pierre Le Trudeau used to wear uh, a rose all the time, and I, I didn't like the red, so I would wear the equivalent, but in a yellow, and it was sort of like they did it fake uh, flower. So over time, it became it stuck as uh, look at him with, with his uh, flower. He thinks it's sunshine or something, you know. Yep. It started there, and then eventually, what happened is a whole oxymoron was built around it. You know, in the sense that Mr. Sunshine seems to be sort of the positive, loving, great guy, you know, motivator and whatever, and then. When you would get into business arguments with me, most people would leave like the press. Why do you guys call him Mr. Sunshine? Right, man, call him Mr. Rainy Day or something, you know, like <laughs> not Mr. Sunshine. And so, you know, I guess it's the same thing with uh, with Kevin O'Leary when they, you know, when they call him Mr. Wonderful, he's far from being wonderful. So, you know, <laughs> I guess are, it's the opposite. That, you know, are you are you one of these uh, downer guys in negotiations? Or you 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 the guy that's finding the problem with it? Uh, no, but what I what I can tell you is when somebody brings me a project, the first thing I do is I try and see the synergy with, with whatever else I'm doing or whatever else I think is going to come up. Hmm. Uh, and then my next thing is to shred it to pieces to try and see if it can resist the test of of, of a banking you know of a banking guy or of a of an investor and and, and or of a customer, you know, so, you know, we were talking about this not so long ago. For me, a business that needs to be subsidized for 5, 10, 15 years, you know, call them the Ubers of this world or the Netflix of this world. I just, you know, I, I try and understand why would I want to invest something like, call it Netflix, even though everybody says, oh my God, it revolutionized the world, it, it disrupted everything. Yeah, I know, but it hasn't made a penny profit since the day it was started. And now it's going to get attacked by a whole bunch of other people, right? So so it is part of my nature to sort of take a deal and mm-hmm. decompose it mm-hmm. to see how weak it is. Yeah. But yeah. if there's elements of it that are strong, you know, for example, if the product is amazing or whatever, whatever, then I will take the product. Okay, look, the way you're packaging this thing is horrible. We're never going to get the market with it. So let me bring you into my team you got the vision that came up with this product. Let me coach you. Let me get my guys to coach you how to get this to market the right way. And the problem sometimes occurs that some people fall in love with their product. They're so in love with it 
that is like their child, right? So they will not admit to third parties that their child may have some weaknesses. <laughs> so right. they're always there defending. Whatever. So what happens in that case is, yeah, I put my foot down and go, listen, you're not getting it. It's a horrible product. It, it doesn't work. You know, so, you know, for example, uh, uh, I don't know, 3D for kids, right? And for, you know, for animated movies. It should be the easiest form of 3D to sell. But in reality, kids don't want to have these glasses that sort of screws up a bit the way they're looking at things and they're saying like, hey, what, what is this? Spec? You know what I mean? And so, so yeah, it hasn't worked. Has every it? product yeah. has. A, yeah, that's right. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. So listen, you, you started in your in, in business in your father's theater, right? So how much how much of a jump start was that to come from a basically a business family? Well, you know, I always like to say, people like to tease us all the time and say to me and my dad, and they say, you know, so Vince is the second generation. And then, so you guys got to be careful with Vince's kids because they're the third generation. And so we usually laugh it off and say, no, in reality, we're the first generation together mm. uh, because I'm an only child. So at the age of four, not to have me, you know, with a babysitter at home while my mom and dad were working in the theaters, what they would do is they would bring me along. Now, there's nothing worse for a four-year-old, five-year-old to be in a one-screen auditorium. I've seen the movie already. What else do you want me to do? <laughs> so here I am playing dodgeball or playing, you know, uh, uh, you know, you throw the tennis ball on the stairs and, and whatever, whatever, in the middle of a the theater. So they put me to work in a sense that, I, you know, I, I don't want to compare it to child labor, but I mean, they put me to work in the sense of let's distract them, let's you know, so they got me a little red jacket like most of the ushers had back then. And I would, you know, with a flashlight, you know, tell people to put their feet down or whatever. Yes, yes. So I was involved at a very young age. And, and what my dad did to me is what I did to my kids. So when I was 10, 11, 12, 13, my parents would talk to me as if I was a 20-year-old about the business. Hmm. So it got me to give them ideas, right? So if today we have full-fledged bumper cars and a full-fledged merry-go-round and, you know, eight, nine, ten thousand square feet of arcade spaces in our theaters is because of the kids. It's because they were talking to me and I talked to my kids and what's hot, what's not hot, right? So when you look at a company like Cineplex and decide, ooh, we're going to do a rec room and they think they've revolutionized the world, they really haven't. I mean, we brought in ten thousand square foot arcades inside of our theaters in 1998. Wow. Now, they're at, granted, they're at 40,000 square feet now, but I mean, it's a different thing. I have a brand new theater opening up. It's going to be 18,000 square feet of arcade space exclusively for my customers in the movie theater level. So I'll say right? Nobody has to feel this thing that, oh, I'm going to a dingy arcade or whatever, you know, so you can control the stuff better. So we've, you know, so I always like to say I was part of the growing pain process, but mm. it is. It is a plus when you have a family that is already involved in business and is open to taking you into the business and is open to exploring other businesses, right? So I have five kids. I, I really can't expect all five of them to be in the movie business. But that's where the diversification came from. So we, we started with a construction company. Why? Because we realized general contractors were making 15, 20, 25, 30% on our theater construction. Money that we would have to borrow and pay well, back. Why not do it for yourself? So we, yeah. Yeah, we'll do it for ourselves. I mean, it can't be that hard. I mean, come on. And yeah. so I went out <laughs> without an engineer degree, without anything, and got myself 
what we call in, in Quebec an RBQ license, which is basically the license you need to be a general contractor. It was funny because when I, when I wrote those exams, it's a series of six exams, I wrote them with our in-house engineer. I got better scores than he did on those exams. And I, know, and I knew nothing about construction, really. But it was just, for me, logical, you know, what, what the answers were and whatever, whatever. So we did that. Now, for sure, what we do now during the summer, my two oldest, you know, 20, 21 and, and 18, we split them up. One goes and works with people in the movie side. The other one works on the construction side. You know, my third one's 14, but he works as an usher in the theaters. Uh, the other two are too young still. You know, Delano's 10 and my daughter's eight. But So we get them involved. But I always tell my kids, whatever you're going to want to do, do it. Just find a way to involve your family in it. Huh? Right? So my daughter says <laughs> to me, well, what if I want to become a doctor? Great. Be a doctor. We'll open medical clinics. I don't care. It's a business. <laughs> Maybe yeah. a good business going forward. You know what I mean? With the debt factor that we may have because of these things. And so... So that's what I teach my kids. I teach my kids all the time. You don't have to follow in daddy's footsteps, but you know, you don't have to be a nine to five guy either. You want to be, you know, for example, you want to be a lawyer. Fine. You can be a lawyer, but you do realize that with all of the companies daddy and the family have, you can be a full-time lawyer for us. Hmm. I mean, there's enough, you know, yeah. so that's how we, you know, get them involved. And so that is, uh, uh, nobody can deny that that is, great foundations to start any new business on, you know? Yeah. I, I, I'm not sure if you're watching the HBO series Succession, but uh, I mean, it's, it's all about a, f- a family construct and how the, how the children are, are being brought back into the fold one by one uh, with, with the family. It's quite, quite something, quite a, quite a deal, quite an intergenerational yeah, well, thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, look, I think, I think every great family, you know, in the world has gone through this, right? The Kennedys have gone through it. The Gettys have gone through it, you know, and, and that's probably why some, you know, it's always funny when I hear a, a billionaire like Bill Gates, you know, I'm only going to leave 1% of my fortune to my, to my kids. The rest I'm giving away to charity. You do realize that that's still like two, $3 billion you're giving. Right? Like it's still enough for it to never have to work uh, or whatever. But I think the biggest problem families have, successful families have, is giving that same drive, that same desire. Yes, of course. To the next generation. Well, I mean, as, especially if if it's uh, you know, if largely you're born into quite a bit of privilege right away. I mean, it's you know, where do you get that motivation? How do you make sure of that? So, so how do you how do you exercise that with your own children? How do you make sure that they have that well, that that emotion? Well, one of the things I've done is I I obligated my kids the older ones at least, because the other ones, like I said, are still too young, to go away to school. Uh-huh. You know, when I, when I went to school, so, I, you know, I grew up in the East End of Montreal. You know, my dad was a fairly successful business guy. He had, you know, nightclubs. He had, you know, movie theaters. So we were in the fun businesses, right? So my dad wasn't the shoe salesman. He wasn't the pharmacist. You know, pharmacist. So he, he didn't have the boring job. He had the cool job. He had the entertainment job. So what my dad did is he sent me to a school in the West Island, the much over in downtown Montreal, a school called Sullivan House, where that's where you had some of the richest Anglo families of Montreal send their kids. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, from being the popular kid because your dad owned all the cool businesses in the East End of Montreal, you're now like, okay, what up, man? I'm just Mr. Joe Bull here. 
So I did the same thing with my kids. So I let them graduate high school in Montreal and then forced them to leave the city. In some case, both of them went to uh, the U.S. And now they're in a school where, you know, the great-great-grandson of Samsung goes to school. Hmm. So if you think daddy's made it, look again. <laughs> you know, like we're far from the Samsung family as well. If yeah. you think, you know, uh, you know, your dad's famous, well, wait up a minute. You're here with the grandson of uh, Robert, uh, you know, Kraft from the mm-hmm. New England Patriots. So, right. you know, hey, you know hey, so I, all of a sudden. Yeah. yeah. No, go ahead. Sorry. Okay. So all of a sudden they're challenged in the fact that, hey, wait up a minute. I'm no longer the son of the most important or one of the most important. No, no, now I'm just like an average guy here because now I've got New York billionaires and New York and, and Boston and, and Massachusetts millionaires, kids coming here. And so, you know, flying private in some cases or whatever, that's fine. These guys do it all the time. So, oh my God, like, oh shit. You know, I, I actually got to put an effort here to, to distinguish myself from the rest of the pack. And that, that usually translates on a football field, first and foremost. Then it translates on in their education. And then it translates in their personality. And they become go-getters because they go, hey, what up a minute? I don't want to be fourth in line here. I want to be first. Hmm. You know, so you, you got to challenge them and make them realize that they haven't really gotten to a place where they don't have to do anything anymore. They, there still is work to be done. I, I want to ask you, of course, a lot about Dragon's Den, but I want to, uh, before I get there, I, I have to ask you one more thing about being raised in Montreal and being um, sent to the school. Were, did you experience the kind of um, sneering of uh, like your new money as, you know, with some of the old money kids that were there? Were you, did you still feel a bit of an underdog there? Um. No, I felt it differently. You have to remember that I came from the East End of Montreal. So I was probably one of the first Canadian of Italian origin in that school. Okay. My dad was not a lawyer, accountant, or a professional. My father never went to university. So I'm now there. And, you know, the best example I can give you is today I know that it's father and mother. But back then I would say father, mother. <laughs> I would roll my, you know, so, so that's where I was being teased. I was being teased as, Hey, you're one of those, you know, wops without official paper kind of guy, you know, type wow. of thing. Yeah, yeah. And trying to imagine, you know, I today wear a pinky ring with a little Mr. Sunshine flower on it. Back then, I wore a pinky ring with a little red uh, red emerald on it. And they would say to me, "What is that? The, the you know, the, the the Godfather ring where you got to kiss the ring? You got you guys are all gangsters. You know what I mean? That's what I say. Uh. Nobody really questions, hey, how much money do you have versus you don't have? Because what happened is. As soon as the guys realized that, hey, my dad had nightclubs in the East End of Montreal, they all managed to get, you know, they couldn't get into the nightclubs in downtown Montreal because they were 18 and over. Here instead at 15, 16, because they knew the son's owner, they would come in, you know, so we, so I was mm-hmm. somewhat of a popular kid, but it was never about the money. Okay. Uh, I would tell you only once it did happen to me, but it was not from the kids. It was from the parents. There was an attorney, and so I was dating a girl who I was going to go to prom with. And when I went to pick her up at prom, they opened the door, and they made me wait outside for my date to come out. Like, they didn't let me into their house. Wow. And the problem was that their gardener and the, and the help was Italian. So they didn't want, 
the uh, help realizing that their daughter was going out with an Italian guy. Wow. What an interesting uh, you know, experience. That, that. That was, yeah. Yeah. And that was in like, you know, that's not a long, that's not a long time ago. I mean, I graduated Stalin house in 1986. It's not by the, you know, like the 20s or something. This is yeah. 1986. Yeah. Uh, Scottish. It was funny because he was a Scottish, um, bl- he was a blind attorney. I think he was one of the first blind attorneys and he never let me into the house. And, and I dated his daughter for a few months after grad and mm. I, I never saw the inside of that house. Amazing. <laughs> like, I didn't know what it looked like. Yeah. I mean, I, I grew up in the Italian neighborhood in Toronto, so that that's just not a scene I could ever possibly imagine. Right. I mean, everybody, everybody was in everybody else's yeah, houses. Yeah, yeah. Um, hey, okay. Yeah. So let, let's turn to Dragon's Den. I want, cause I, I know you, you're yeah. pressed for some time it, it, in, in general here, how do you know or not yeah. know what's a good pitch? Normally, look, I tell you the first thing you're looking at is the product. I don't even, I don't even look at the person who's talking to me at that point. I'm saying, what are you selling? Right. So, you know, in season 13, we had somebody sell uh, 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 reusable sanitary pads, right? So I'm out. I'm not even into this. I, I, it's not a product I know, and I'm not even really that interested to find out about. It. Same thing with most cannabis deals, right? I, I don't want to go there. I don't need to. Don't want to go there. I'm already in the medical space another way, whatever. But you get a good product, mm-hmm. right? So you get, uh, for example, uh, you get somebody who does cool T-shirts or whatever. And so you know what? This I could work with. This might be cool. This I could work. And then you look at, and the big of the evaluation is the person. And, and, and you'll realize that when we ask some of the questions like, what's your EBITDA? What's your bottom line? Or how much money? What's this? What are your margins? Or whatever. What we're really testing is the person's ability to answer us as truthfully as he can. The biggest problem I have on Dragon's Den many times is, I will ask somebody, and I learned this after four or five days. I'll ask somebody, you know, what's your revenue? And they'll say two million bucks. So I go, Christ, this is, so this is already a business. <laughs> when I do my due diligence with them, I then realize it's $2 million for the last 10 years. Oh, uh, that oh. wasn't the question. The question oh. You know, so for me, it was sort of automatic that if I ask you what your, what, your, what your revenues are, I'm talking about the last 12 months. So you can answer me if you want to impress me you can say well it's two million for the last 12 months but in total we have 42 million let's say right so but in this case i just you know so it took me a few days to get used to hmm. first and foremost the pitchers you know because they, their interpretation you know, for example i don't talk about what your net margin i say what your ever does so everybody's looking at me like why the hell are you being so so technical on the accounting terms like why it's called a, a net margin well okay for you guys that's for me it's not you know Type of thing. And then the second thing you had to get used to was somebody like, you know, Arlene or Lane or, you know, Manjeet who, you know, they come from a different angle at this, right? They're looking at it another way. Eh? You're going to see in episode one, there's an interesting exchange between Arlene and I where she's telling me how I should look at the deal and yeah, well, I'm not in, in, in not the most polite way, tell her, mind your business. But but what, but what do you think you look for that that your fellow dragons don't? Um, I I I given my age and given the fact that I'm still a big daily operator of my business, like I still go to the office seven days a week. I you know somebody told me you know one of your colleagues once asked me what's going on vacation with Vince Guzzo. I said, you don't want to come with me. I mean, you probably do because you want to see the spectacular places I go, but you don't really want to come on vacation. I'm not the funnest guy in the world. 
I'm not Lane Merfield. I'm not going to go for two weeks off the radar and go in Antarctica with the penguins. I'm not doing that. It's just not for me. I need Wi-Fi. I need satellite service. And I need four or five hours a day to be on my own at, at a desk. You know, I've, I, most of the hotels I stay at now around the world all know me. I don't even have to remind them. Take all of those tables out of there. I don't need any table, but I need a desk. So bring in the desk because I need to work. And I go through my stuff. And if I, if I break that routine, it's the same. So for me, if somebody looks like he's got an amazing product and he looks like he really wants to make this happen, I have no problem having daily conversations with the guy or weekly conversations with the guy or monthly conversations with the guy versus, you know, a guy like Jim, man, 78 years old, this is, I really don't need this every day. You know I mean? So if mm-hmm. I can invest and I know you can, you know, ride the bike on your own, we're good. In my case, you know, I, I'll, hold the, I'll hold the bike for you to make sure that you think you're pedaling on your own and, and you're not going to fall. But mm-hmm. And I have no problem doing that. It's part of the mentoring that I do. It's part of the way I intertwine with people. I, I don't, you know, I'm not a, here's my money and leave me alone type of thing. I actually want to be involved in the day-to-day sometimes. or And then until, then I really feel like, okay, I can trust you 110%. Whatever you're going to tell me is the perception that I would also have if I saw the same thing. So you're good. Now you're on your own. Now you, now you have access to my money and my bank account as if you're me. Nice. Nice. They don't all do that, right? So, and, and it also always depends how you make your money. The worst thing that can happen to an investor is that he makes his money on a, I'm in the garage. I came up with an amazing idea. Somebody wrote me a check for $500 million. The worst thing, that's the worst kind of investor you want because that guy's just writing checks. And, 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 he, and he, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't know anything. In my case, I worked at this thing every day and I still do. And, you know, and I still make mistakes and, and I still invest my money and I still go get a loan to do certain projects because they're bigger than I, I'm willing to write the check. And it's sort of my security blanket to keep my money and, and get a, a, you know, a huge loan on the deal or whatever, whatever. And so I'm a, you know, I like to say I'm a businessman. That's what I am. I'm not an investing man, you know what I mean? So I, I'm, I'm an operations guy. I get in there, I get my hands dirty. You know, when we opened the pizzerias, I got in a, in a plane, I went to Italy, went to Naples, went to see the guy that was selling us the ovens through a distributor in Canada, and I made a deal. And those those ovens don't didn't cost me $30,000 each. In fact, I bought a few of them for way less than 30000 and so I saved that money. You know what I mean? So, and, and because why? Because that money, I, I know how hard it was to make it. So I, I'm not, Jim's a bit like that in the sense that that's how he thinks about investing. He, he says, I don't want to lose money because I know how hard I work to get it. Yeah, where does his ovens come says, from for, uh, for Boston pizza? I wonder where those come from. <laughs> Those well, are pretty- no, his are, yeah, his, his, yeah, his are the gas ones, so it's <laughs> yeah. not, you know, yeah, yeah. ours are the Napoleon ones. So, yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, but I, I hear you on this one. It's, it's staying, staying quite in touch with it. But the, you know, the great range of emotion that you've got in Dragon's Den is that you have these successes, you have these people that are elated when you decide that you're going to invest in them. But, but then there's always in the show at least one, sometimes more, of like a really, like a crashing 
failure, a mess. Somebody who's just a, a you know, a hot mess. It, when something's obviously a dud, what, what do you feel for the people who are pitching you? Well, it depends, right? Because you're looking at, and you have to remember this, a lot of people don't know. I mean, it's not a big secret, but I tell you a secret. Most of those pitches don't last 10 minutes. Most of those pitches last in excess of an hour. Mm. So what you're seeing is comes in, crashes, burns, and it looks like Vince just ripped them a new one. That's what you might see on the final tape. But in reality, the guy's been exasperating me for 45 minutes. I just can't take it anymore. It's like, seriously, are you lying to me the way you are? Because that is the number one problem pitchers have when they come on Dragon's Day. They forget hmm. that we know that if you're there, chances are you've exasperated your friends and family fund. You've been refused by most banks. And now you're in front of us. So now you're trying to pitch me an idea as if you're, you're a politician. And you think I'm not seeing through this. Right? So in other words, I, 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 I'll, I'll do a comparison. You know, we're, we're, in a, we're in an electoral race. So, you know, when a politician stands in the middle of a daycare surrounded by kids, even before he says his first word, I'm already thinking, seriously, are you really going to play the kid thing with me today? Or when somebody says to me, I'm going to do this. Okay. And then somebody asks him, and how are you going to do that exactly? Well, the details will come. Okay. So you haven't even figured it out yet. So you're just throwing empty promises. That's how some of those pitches start, right? The guys come in and they say, well, I have a product that's going to tap into the $92 billion market. Yeah, okay, buddy. Wrong pitch, man. It's not your $92 billion, And you're nowhere near that billion right now. So let's go. What is it? You know, we had a guy in season 13 who had this, this, um, this he was opening up these uh, rowing gyms. He was, put it this way, the concept was okay. He was basically the peloton of rowing. That's what he wants. So that's what he wanted to do. Sure. But the problem is that he says that he's accomplished a lifetime of work. The guy's, I think he was 26. Like a lifetime of work. Are you kidding me? Like, seriously. I'm, I, you know, like I was turning 50. And, and at 26, I mean, you know, I'm hearing my kids. I'm hearing like my 15-year-old kid or my 14-year-old kid telling me that, you know, with the experience that he has, hey, guys, you know, I think we all know how to use big words. Just let's be careful who we're using them on. You know, when a 15-year-old tells you, you know, based on my experience, yeah, which means not very much, go on, continue. Why would you even use with them? That's what you get, right? The other thing then you get, you get a lot of those sob stories, right? You know, I'm, I'm not, I, I don't want to in any way insinuate that they're not true, but, you know, it is a emotional moment when you're in the den. A lot of people, wow, you know, like, oh, my God, you know, I'm actually here. Um you know, just to give you an example of how emotional it can get, when I was offered the, you know, the, the position on Dragon's Den, irrespective that I had said yes and they had courted me for a number of, you know, a number of uh, uh, months and everything, they still asked me to do a, an audition. Oh, yeah. Because the, reality is, because the reality is, right, you realize that I can be the most entertaining guy in the world at a table with, you know, with, with a bunch of, of executive producers. What happens when 16 gamblers are looking at you? 
Mm. Do you freeze or do you deliver differently, right? So you had to, so so did you have to please the dragons too? No, 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 no. It wasn't about the dragons. It was about convincing the executive that you can actually deliver what you are. Okay. Right? Because that is the whole idea, right? You'll notice, uh, you'll notice with what ease I can sometimes laugh off something. You know, for example, I, you know, one of the scenes that I'll never forget is, you know, Lane swinging this baseball bat with a towel wrapped around it, which creates some resistance. And Lane swinging this thing like a guy who doesn't know how to swing a, a, a golf a club, right? He doesn't, he doesn't swing around and come over the shoulder. So he's swinging straight, right? So I'm going, they got to come around the shoulder. So he says, what do you mean, like this? It's not a length. Come on, man. Around the shoulder. You got to come up and go back around. Right? So I said, when he says, so, hey, why don't you, good, so why don't you just come here and do it yourself? He said, look, buddy, I'm Italian. I don't use a baseball bat. Give me the paper. Swing it around like this and don't worry about it. See, like, everybody on set, like, just burst laughing. They couldn't even believe I said that, right? Some people might say, I can't believe the stereotype. You just, you know, what? Oh my God, what are you trying to say? But guys, get over it, man. It's, I'm Italian. <laughs> it's part of my personality. You know, uh, uh, you know, how many times does Arlene say, you're going to see, she does it a few times this season, where she says, well, why are you so loud? But I'm not loud. I'm just Italian. Get over it, man. You know, like, leave me alone. <laughs> that hey. easiness yeah, yeah. doesn't come easy all the time, you know, for most people. So, Listen, so uh, let's conclude with one thing. I, I want to ask how the show is a, is influencing your own business style at this point. Anything yet? I think, you know, what it's done is it's, it's made me realize how many potential entrepreneurs we have in this country. You know, I always, and, and I said it to a lot of people that know me and, and say it to you and a lot of people in Vancouver now are going to hear it, but, you know, the key is Small and medium enterprise is what creates innovation. Those big companies, they buy our innovation and then they kill them. And they stifle it and they sort of just, you know, I think the best example of that would be Lane's, you know, creation of Dragon's Den, of, uh, sorry, of uh, Club Penguin. Mm-hmm. He created Club Penguin, offered it to the guys to buy. They all told him to go fly a kite that they could do better. At the end, they bought him for a lot more than he was willing to sell at the beginning. And today, Club Penguin is only a fraction of what it was when Lane was running it and, and, and you know, had the passion behind it and so forth. Because at the end of the day, all Disney really wanted was the subscription. They wanted the 300 million kids. Exactly. Because so they, so they buy you, and so all of a sudden, the innovative part of it is gone. So my biggest worry about entrepreneurs of tomorrow is that if they start becoming one hit wonders and then get these $500 million payouts like they do in the IT business, it's amazing. But most of them never come back to, to, to do anything. They, they just, you know, 500 million is a lot of money to try and waste in your lifetime. Hmm. Michelle is a great example of somebody who has been a repeat, a repeat entrepreneur who has made money, has reinvested it, and at 33, I mean, she's got the energy and she's, even though ClearBank today has more money than some of the big companies, she's investing in and she's doing it the right way and she's encouraging, you know, entrepreneurs. So 
what it's done is it's sort of a my age, you know, I'm 50 and I said to myself, you know, how many good years do I have left? Before, well, I was going you know, to ask you, you yeah. I was going to ask you, do you have that word retirement in your vocabulary yet? No, no. The word retirement, I, no, no. The minute I think retirement, I, I, I start panicking. I go, oh my God, what am I going to do with myself? You know, like, it makes no sense. So, there's no retirement, but there will be a, eventually a slowdown, right? So, and it's just it's just a natural progression thing. My body will not be able to take what I put it through at 50, at 75. You know, my kids will need more room, so I'll have to start eclipsing myself a bit. I'll have to, you know, do things or fall in love with another project, right? And 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 work at that while I leave everything behind for the kids to manage amazingly, better than me. Because management styles change, because things evolve, right? So that made me realize that hey, you know what? I'm not an uh, 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 I'm not a, uh, uh, an anomaly in the future. There are tons of Canadians that are all like I was at 20, at 25, that wanted to make a point that you know, like I'm still working on a deal, you know, that may end up being a billion plus dollar deal. What, that will change my whole way of looking at, at things. But it is an, an evolving thing. What Dragon's Den has given me that I never had before, mm-hmm. and this, this is something that a lot of Italians say, you know, nobody knows Italy like non-Italian. Because <laughs> <laughs> when you're an Italian, you go to Italy to go to your little hometown. That's what you know. So it's the same thing with Canada, right? So I knew Canada based on Montreal, Toronto, and London, Ontario, because that's where I went to school at Western. Now, with Dragon's Den, I've traveled to Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, Winnipeg, you know, uh, uh, Saskatoon, uh, Manitoba. All of a sudden, I'm discovering a Canada that I said, geez, I, I didn't know Canada was this. I never realized how, uh, how on the one end, we're very different. On the opposite end, we're so alike. You know, for example... Right, I, and I was saying this to to a friend of mine that I was having lunch with. I said to him, I said, "You know, there's no highways in Vancouver, right?" And he says, "What do you mean? There's no highways in Vancouver." And no, of course, there's highways in Vancouver. There's no highways in Vancouver. Just the thought that there's a major city like Vancouver that would not have highways to a Montrealer makes no sense. It's like it's like it's like, it's like an anomaly. Like how do you guys get around? But it works. I mean, I, you know, I've been to Vancouver. I'm going to Vancouver. Hey, uh, hey it does, listen, I, I got to tell you, it doesn't work, doesn't work every day. <laughs> it's like, it doesn't work. But, <laughs> not all the time. <laughs> but it does work. Well, okay. I'm telling you, I, look, I, I, I'm staying at the Fairmount at the airport. Yeah. So every day when I want to have you know, dinner, I got to go downtown. Mm-hmm. And I would tell my driver, okay, stop with the scenic route to take the highway. And he would say, but there's no highway. But I got to be honest with you, it was not like crazy traffic like Montreal. No, of course Montreal, not. Montreal, we have highways and no. it's crazy traffic. No, no, Montreal's, so Montreal's that's what like. I mean by it works. Yeah, Montreal's off a whole other chart. Yeah. No question. Yeah. No, no, Vancouver's not Montreal. Toronto's the same thing, right? Yep, yeah. totally. Toronto's the same problem, right? Yeah. Toronto, yeah. Like, there's traffic all over the place. So Vancouver is Vancouver. I mean, you can't say that Vancouver is a small town as if, you know, it's not a, it's a big city, lots of people. Lots of high rises going up. I mean, there's a density of population that's insane, but it works. It seems to like it seems to work. And sure, traffic time is traffic time. Everybody gets traffic, but 
it works for me. I made a lot of sense for me. You know, these are the things that you get to learn, you get to understand. You know, like, you know, somebody, somebody who's from Vancouver, a good friend of mine from Vancouver, once said to me, you know, I don't know what I told him. And he said to me, because I don't know why everybody's so impressed about marijuana being legal in Canada. What do you mean? Wow. I don't know if it was legal in, in BC, but we pretty much had this thing readily available for many, many years. <laughs> Quite true. Really? <laughs> like, seriously? Like, I, I would never think something like that, uh, you know, about, you know, Montreal area, right? Yeah. See, these are the things that I got to learn. So I got to understand my native country way better today than I did, you know, maybe five years ago. Yeah, well, that's, that's great. Hey, listen, yep. uh, I, I know you've got uh, lots of time pressure. I know you're, you've got to go and do your four or five hours of business here. Um, but I want to thank you for your time and good luck with the season this year. Hey, it's a pleasure. Yeah. Pleasure. And if uh, you need anything, call me back. All right. Vince Guzzo. Thank you. The, uh, uh, the dragon, uh, Mr. Sunshine. Thanks a lot for your time today. You've thank been listening you. to BIV Today. I'm Kirk LaPointe. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs>